everybody. Welcome to a new episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. That is AKA Brad. And today, AKA Brad and I have a very special one. We 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 had to bring Mel Brooks around, Mel Brooks around for a second round, and we had to uh go towards some uh medieval um high comedy, I guess as you would call it. Or or farce comedy. Medieval mm-hmm. farce is what we'll call this. Right, yeah. I think that's the best way to put it because when it comes to these two movies it is historical mockumentary comedies uh of a very british (laughs) persuasion well the first one um well not even the first one really it has it has mockumentary moments Mm -hmm. but um yeah the second one is definitely just straight up straight up parody yeah (laughs) But today we are talking about Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. And yeah, it's... Yes. I've been trying to find a way to get another Mel Brooks movie into our lineup. And when I was looking up movies to pair up against Monty Python, it was like, oh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. And I was like, that's perfect. We we can knock out two birds with one stone. You know, I wouldn't have been mad... If we did Holy Grail and and I don't know if you ever saw this Martin Lawrence film called Black Knight. Oh yeah. Or or if we did Black Knight and Men in Tights, but I feel like the pair up we got works. Oh, most definitely. So I, I think there's nothing left to do except jump right into it. And uh I don't know about you. I think we should go chronological on this one. Oh, it just works. It just okay. works. So with that said Let's jump into Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So from the minds of Monty Python, this is actually their second feature film. Uh, First one being more of a compilation of the TV series at that point that they had uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Directed by Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, with uh, being joined on the writing staff by Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. We have the story of... The Holy Grail by King Arthur, who is on a quest to try and gather the knights of the round table to find the Holy Grail, which was a quest given to him by God. So the entire movie is a slapstick British comedy of epic proportions and goes through the entire thing of him going castle to castle, trying to find his knights of the round table to getting the quest and basically screwing up along the way with every night getting their own glorious scenes to take full advantage of their complete idiocy uh, wrapped up in the most Monty Python way possible. <laughs> Do you want to hear a funny story? Oh, this I'd is love actually to. my first. This is my first time watching this show uh, straight, watching this film straight through, um, because the first time I I, I, I watched it, uh, we had a drinking game. <laughs> this is my first time ever watching this film. And uh, one of the rules of the drinking game was uh, every time you hear the word swallow, drink. <laughs> and let me tell you, man, past the first nine minutes, I was passed out. Oh, I can't I believe just- it. I kept, I kept drinking, and the movie was funny. I was like, dude, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love I it- the recurring jokes in this, like the uh, swallows uh, 
which is brought up at the beginning of the movie because you have King Arthur coming to a castle and behind him is a guy uh, heading two coconuts together or mm-hmm. two halves of a coconut together in order to make like a galloping noise. And mm-hmm. in doing so, you know, the person at the castle is like, you ain't even got a horse. You just got a man with a coconut. Where'd you even get a coconut? <laughs> Found it. <laughs> How did you find a coconut? <laughs> And then the whole thing goes to a conversation of, well, maybe a swallow carried it. A swallow? <laughs> Those birds can't don't even weigh the same as a coconut. You expect it to be able to carry a coconut? And, <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I no. love how uh, it, later on, when we're introduced to uh, Bedivere, he's actually you know, stringing a coconut to a swallow and letting it go to see if it can fly when we're first introduced to him, which I absolutely love is like a callback to that. And continually the topic of swallows continues to come up throughout the movie as well. Yeah, man. I, I love the recurring jokes in this film. Like, I feel like this is, this is like smart, dumb comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's dumb, it's farcical, but it's written in a smart way. You know what I mean? Like, um, um, oh man, the, the fight with the black knight, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, uh, yeah. Arthur, <laughs> They, they're trying to cross and they, they well first Arthur approaches the Black Knight and says hey you know you want to be a part of my crew we can get the Holy Grail and Black Knight just doesn't respond to him he's like uh, alright so, so you, you don't want to come alright we'll just go ahead, head through no one shall pass he's like what and so <laughs> the fight that happens between them dude like again if you turn if you don't take anything in this film seriously it, it rewards you in spades like my man cuts his arms off. He goes, "Tis but a scratch. Like, like it's just a flesh wound. Tis only a flesh wound. Have at thee." That's <laughs> like you can't, you can't fight me. And I, when he he cuts off his arms, he starts trying to hit him with his shoulder. <laughs> like, it it just gets more and more hilarious as it goes on. Oh, I love how he cuts off his legs, and as he's like still walking off, he's like, "Yeah, that's right. You better run. You you right. you have fought the Black Knight." <laughs> Uh, or what was it? We'll call this a draw. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many. So one thing that uh, it's been a little bit since I last watched this movie, but I forgot how fast paced this movie goes, because when I think of this movie scene by scene, I remember every scene of this movie. And mm-hmm. I, I remember them as the individual scenes. So when it's coming to that scene, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this scene. And then the next one, oh, I know this scene. And then it gets to the end of the movie. I was like, I remember this entire movie. And I swear this movie used to be longer. But at the same time, it's so fast paced with it going from scene to scene. And he even jokes about that when scenes are going on a little bit too long with, come on, wrap it up now. We got to get to the next scene. <laughs> get on with it. Get on with it. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, dude. Uh, Terry Gilliam, who co-directed this um, before this film, I had known him for some films that I love, like Brazil. You know what I'm saying? And I, I hadn't known him for like making films like this. Like I, I didn't know he started in Monty Python for the longest mm-hmm. time. I didn't know that. And then um, watching this film, I could see how this this inspired a lot of his later works. Like you know, there's there's a lot of creativity to the animation, the animation uh, transitions. And everything and um yeah i, I could see how his imagination like was like in it was just stating from this from this work that he did 
Oh yeah. And we didn't even talk about the beginning credits. Like that we like, we didn't even touch on that, man. Because at first I thought I was watching the wrong version. I was like, uh, oh, this has subtitles. So I kept checking around. I said, no, nah, this must be it. I'll just let it play. And uh, you know, it's it has like like a little translation at the bottom. And then later on it says, uh, hey, have you ever uh checked out summer in uh what what was the location? Oh, I can't remember. I, I just know that uh it starts off with like Vok, Vok me. Vok, vok, vok. And then it just goes, hey, have you ever te- checked out this? <laughs> have you ever uh, traveled to such and such during the summer? It's so beautiful. But you got to look out for the horses. The horses, uh, if, you, if you pet them too wrong, if you pet them in the wrong way, they'll bite off your arm. And then the subtitle comes back on like, it's true. It happened to my sister. It was a long time ago. It's like this long explanation. And then the, the credits stop and go, oh, uh, the people who uh, uh, you know, misused the credits have been sacked. Yeah. And then it goes back to like Vok Vok. And then you get another screen. The people that were supposed to sack the people for misusing the credits have now been sacked. And then it goes, we have fired the people originally working on the credits. So the rest of the credits will now be presented by a new animator. And the music changes to this like upbeat kind of circusy music. And it's just flashing. What was it? Yellow and red over and over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it, man. I loved it. That's how I knew. I said, okay, this movie's gonna be great. Cause you know, there's create this there's, there's there's creativity behind it. There's there's um there's artistry behind that. But um Well, even the fact talk- that the movie starts with the end credits because they go, We know that you're not gonna sit around for the end credits. So we're just gonna play them at the beginning for you. <laughs> See, that kind of confused me because I didn't look at those end credits. I just looked at those as typical uh beginning credits for I guess movies from the seventies, which this mm-hmm. is from, you know what I'm saying? But like, uh, I guess it kind of was end credits when I think back to it. Yeah. It, it basically was the end credits of the movie. Cause when the movie ends, it, it just kind of ends on a theme in a black screen and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. If, again, I thought I had the wrong version. I'm like, <laughs> oh, am I supposed to see some credits after that? But it was just like a, a, a long organ sample and then i was like oh okay guess that was the end of the movie (laughs) oh yeah the in jokes of this movie are just so brilliant and yeah there's great meta humor uh at some point in the middle of the movie you have the famous historian who lancelot (laughs) just kills as he's on his journey of the quest right right just drive by slashes him (laughs) And then the wife comes through like, oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it cuts. Yeah, like, this is a great movie. Um, I love one of the animated transitions where um, the person who's writing the story of uh, what's going on, uh, he hears a noise outside. And he runs down this spiraling uh, staircase, <laughs> goes outside, tells the sun and all the rest of these things. It Don't. was clouds. <laughs> clouds and sun to like go get on uh you know get, get out, out of here, here. <laughs> and then he goes oh such such dark weather because you know the light <laughs> is gone i'm like that's such a that's such a dumb bit but it fits where it is you know what i'm saying it's very monty python i don't know have you ever seen an episode of monty python's flying circus um i've seen a little bit of life of brian i believe but outside of that nah i'm not i'm not too familiar with them i just know john cleese 
Okay. So those animated segments are a huge part of the TV series in that same kind of style and everything as well. So mm-hmm. it's if you loved those, you you definitely catch Flying Circus and absolutely love it as well. But it, this movie basically takes the best of their comedic style and puts it like full-fledged on screen every second. And the way that it even goes like scene to scene, it, it takes advantage of their very quick-witted sketch type humor to pin down a scene, have it make its laughs, and then move on to the next. Where this movie could almost be cut down to a sketch show where all the sketches happen to have an interlinking focus. <laughs> Because you guarantee that they were thinking, okay, so we had to have this scene with a three-headed giant, and we had to have who should be up against him. How about one of the cowardly ones? Let's create one of the knights as a complete coward that has to go up against this giant. And there's a sketch, and then it just so happens to connect with other parts of the movie. <laughs> right, right, right. So I... um. I wanted to correct myself. The movie I saw before was The Meaning of Life. It wasn't Life of Brian. It was mm. The Meaning of Life. Um, but yeah, that that was about my only uh, understanding of Money Python. But yeah, yeah, I uh, I agree. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, it, it feels like this is very improvisational in a good way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's... It, so if we kind of go into it a little bit with uh, the mm-hmm. different kind of jokes that they have... I love when they have the French castle of, you know, just if you, you know, want more insults, just come back around. And right. I love how at the very beginning of their quest, they're like, we're looking for some knights to help us on our quest to get the Holy Grail. We've already got one. You do. And then you see like him pan up and he's talking to the other guards and going, I told them we already have one. <laughs> And I love that the end joke is that is where the Holy Grail is at the end of the movie is in that castle. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it, the movie loves making stupid humor and then calling it back constantly. Uh, King Arthur always counting one, two, five. Uh, he can't count three. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tell you what, thing that. That cracked me up. Um, there was a scene where, uh, so who did John Cleese play? Uh, uh, Sir Lancelot. A lot of people. Yeah, yeah I, I know. That was a dumb question. Um, but it, it was Lancelot. It was the scene where Lancelot, uh, he got a letter from somebody that's that's trapped up in a um, in a castle that needs uh, him to rescue him. And he thinks it's a princess or something. This dude comes in, ball, guns blazing, just straight up stabs everybody, stabs like three women, like like ten dudes, and just like just slashes at everybody <laughs> running up to the castle. It's a wedding, <laughs> and then uh, he gets up there and realizes, uh, oh, it's a man, like it's it's, it's yeah. a prince, and uh, he says, oh, you, you saved me. <laughs> he tries to climb out the window the whole time while him and the king are talking. He's like, what? Why'd you just come in here like that? He says, I, I thought I thought I, I thought she was a I thought he was a damsel in distress. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they start having a pleasant conversation, like uh, oh, oh, you're oh, you uh you you do that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, hey, let's, you're let's... from Camelot. Oh, okay, right. Camelot, they got a castle. <laughs> right. He's like, hey, let's go have a beer. And then he just I like how he just cuts the string of like his son trying to climb out. Mm-hmm. 
and um, he has downstairs. And it, and it gets even like it's even funny from this point too, because the son is down there like, "Oh, I've I've been harmed," and and, and his dad is like, "What happened?" Well, let me tell you. He's like, "No, no, no, no! Don't tell me." And then he he knows he's about to lead into a song, and the whole time Sir Lancelot is like, "Uh, hey, I gotta leave here, but I gotta leave here in a um uh 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 dramatic fashion." Yes, yes, because he's always forgetting his words. He says, "Yes, dramatic fashion." I like, I like how that whole scene. He keeps repeating the line that someone gave to him. Like, um, what, what was it? Idiom. Yes, idiom. Because that's what uh, it. It's even said previously during that scene when uh, his horse gets hit by an arrow, and it's like, "I must go on this quest for the uh, the uh, idiom." Yes, yes, that. <laughs> right. Right. Um. <laughs> that in the scene where um they're trying to cross the bridge to get to the holy grail all the nights and uh the one guy asks a, um he asks a simple easy question um to one guy and he passes and uh, another guy comes yeah, up first one is lancelot uh mm-hmm. second one was galahad uh-huh and uh, he asked him two questions. He says, uh, "What do you?" In- I think I think the first one was, "What are you in search of? What's your name?" Um, and what's your favorite what's- color? <laughs> right, right. That one, and then you know, another one. He asked, "What's the square root of such and such? Or what's the capital of what of some strange city?" Mm-hmm. And um, I love how the swallow joke comes back, where he asks Arthur. He says, uh, he-, "He he asks him something about swallows," and then he says. Well, which type of swallows is it, a uh, American swallow or Australian swallow? And the guy goes, I, I don't know that one. And then he lifts up <laughs> and, 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 and uh, gets gets taken off. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's it, it perfect kind of Monty Python slapstick humor. It takes a situation and throws it on its head a little bit in everything. Even when you have like uh, Tim the Enchanter who his entire thing is he's just making fireballs everywhere. And even as he's talking to King Arthur, he's just still like throw, you know, pointing his staff in places and just springing up fire in random places, doing mm-hmm. nothing of the sort. And I love how, when he goes, you must tame the beast and everything. And it ends up being just this little rabbit <laughs> that they had to go up against, but ends up killing mm-hmm. three of his men that happened to be men that just joined <laughs> in the previous scene uh i don't even remember what their names were but yeah they literally come into the group to die off immediately yeah i i I know what you mean i I don't remember their names either to be honest um but yeah man i feel like this movie is a pretty solid movie with in with um little vignettes uh yeah it was it was a pretty it was a pretty nice comedy like i'm I am a fan of British comedy, whether it's a uh, cringe or whether it's over the top, you know, but um, yeah, man, I'd say like on, on a strong first watch, I give this like a solid four out of five. I enjoyed myself. Uh, it, it's Monty Python, the Holy Grail. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a five out of five for me too easily. <laughs> it's even knowing that I've seen this movie dozens of times Watching it again recently for this one, it still got me on every joke. I still absolutely laughed, uh, clapping along with the uh, Knights of the uh, <laughs> Castle. I, 
I love how you said that. He says, dude, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ain't no way I'm giving this less than a five. Yeah, it's <laughs> if if we could start going like 5.1, this movie might be hitting that number. It's <laughs> This movie is a cornerstone of what got like me into comedies and British comedies specifically, because prior to Monty Python, I had seen some British comedies and it's like, OK, it's it's good. But seeing this one, it got me going, okay, I got to look more into John Cleese, Terry Idol, uh, or Mm -hmm. Eric Idol, Terry Gillian. It's, you know, these are the staples of British comedy that got me into, you know, uh, Mark and Webb, into a bunch of the other shows that are out there that, you know, IT Crowd and uh, Mighty Boosh everything else <laughs> I, i'm i'm i don't know about the other ones you said i started the it crowd uh not for me not for me but i don't i don't you know i don't hate on it you know i i can see that's the thing with uh british comedies is when people go yeah it's i i didn't get into that way it's like i can understand <laughs> i do like alan partridge i like steve coogan's alan partridge character yes <laughs> right uh all right man all right cool cool all right man heading on to our next one here we got 1993's robin hood men in tights by the uh comedy legend uh directed by mel brooks so um you know if you know the robin hood tale you pretty much know what this is about but just to give you just a brief brief synopsis we have um we got carrie l's as a you know robin hood Robin Hood is a uh, Robin of Loxley. And uh, what he does is basically he likes to uh, steal from the rich and give back to the poor. Um, he is uh, he is um, he, the, the antagonist of this film is Prince John, played by uh, Richard Lewis. And uh, basically what he's trying to do is um, he's trying to gather up a, a crew. Not at first, because at first he wants to go at it alone. But he ends up gathering up a crew to, um, you know, uh, uh, how do I say this? Um, does he want to give the throne back to his rightful owner? No, he wants uh, to get rid of the new taxes that the king is putting on the land because those new taxes caused him to lose his castle. So while yeah. he was away on kind of another mission of steal from the rich, give to the poor, his castle was repossessed. And mm. as a result, he decided to go after the king and his new taxes upon the land as he's seeing how they are affecting everybody else around him. Yeah. And um, OK, yeah. And on top of that, there's a there's a nice uh, side plot of uh, him, you know, uh, trying to steal the love of uh, Maid Marian, um, who has a uh, locked chastity case uh, around her, uh, you know, um, Netherlands. <laughs> that uh, needs a right. That needs the right spot, right kind of special key to unlock it. Um, yeah, if that doesn't tell you what kind of farcical comedy this is, I, I don't know. I don't know what would. But uh, yeah, man, Robin Hood, Man in Tights, bro. Um, I've had this on DVD for a while, but I, I I got it from like an old Mel Brooks collection I have because I really like Young Frankenstein. So I said, oh, he's made other movies, so I just bought that collection. Um, I've had this on DVD for a while, man. This is the first time I watched this, man. And um, Amazingly enough, I didn't realize, apparently this is the second most uh, bought DVD of any of Mel Brooks's 
works. The first one really? being Spaceballs. Yeah. I would expect Young Frankenstein to be the second. Or I would have saddles. as well, because when it comes to uh, this movie, Robin Hood Men in Tights, it's not seen as Mel Brooks's best work. It's kind of seen as a Mel Brooks comedy that mm-hmm. it has a cult following and everything like that. But when you think Mel Brooks, my first thing is I think Spaceballs, but I'm a huge Star Wars guy. And so anything parodying Star Wars instantly comes to my mind. But after that, it would be Young Frankenstein, uh, then mm-hmm. Blazing Set. You know, Robin Hood Men in Tights when I was looking up like movies to go up against Monty Python, I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Mel Brooks made a Robin Hood movie. Didn't he? Right. Right. Dude. I've always had it in my DVD collection, but I, I figured like, yeah, I'm going to watch everything before that. Cause yeah. I was like, I, I looked at the cover and you know, you had Carrie L's pulling back to like the seven arrows mm-hmm. on the bow. And I'm like, do I want to watch that? Like, I don't know. I know Dave Chappelle's in it and I like Dave. <laughs> But I, I, I don't know. I was just never sold on watching the movie first. I was always sold on watching it one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess now's the time as ever. Uh, first off, it start it starts off so corny, but it 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 it, it, it works in a strange way. You got the rap group uh, yeah. uh, rapping, <laughs> rapping and introducing the story and doing like their little dance or whatever. I'm like this is so, but I'm like this is so 90s though. Mm-hmm. I got to give it some grace cuz that's a 90s thing to do. It's perfect of like Mel Brooks mocking that that was a trend in movies while also putting <laughs> in the movie to have that level of meta humor to it because you know that he was going you know what? Every movie I'm watching is putting some kind of stupid rap sequence in there in the middle of nowhere. And right, right. you know what? If if everybody's going to do it, I'm going to do it, too. But I'm going to do it in the stupidest way possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about you, man, but when I was watching this, I was like, OK, the humor is there, but this is just a little too dumb at some points. Like, like I, yeah. I have to do the, the inevitable check in the runtime. I'm like, all right, how, how much longer I got on this? Because I'm like, it, it made me laugh. It did. Don't get me wrong. But it's like some things I will run into and we'll get into them. But, um, uh, you know, there, there was a scene where uh, Dom DeLuise, he had a scene where he showed up as kind of like a godfather Vito Corleone character. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, uh, you know, he would say certain jokes like his henchman would say, uh, thank you for inviting us to the day of your daughter's wedding. Like, no, 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 no. Wrong meeting. Wrong. Yeah. He's like. He's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Like, I was like, oh, okay, Godfather. And then the joke will kind of, the veto joke will kind of keep going. And I'm like, all right, like, I get it. It's supposed to be the Godfather. Let's let's get to another bit. And I was like, ugh. Like, what did you feel about that scene? It, yeah, it, that scene kind of went a little bit over. And especially when it's like, oh, he's the best archer around. Look at all his badges and medals. <laughs> and then he like shows this thing. It's like, okay, that's funny. And then it goes into over explaining how he's still the best archer. It's like, no, no, you already got the joke. You can you can move on now. You already you did it. Right, right, <laughs> you did right, the thing. Right. But it would need to be done. Right. And that happens a lot in this movie where, you know, it mentioned with uh, Monty Python, and the Holy Grail, everything knew exactly how long to stick before it went to the next scene. It, this movie is an example of overriding that boundary 
and mm-hmm. not just overriding it, but not even overriding it enough that it becomes funny in its own unintentional way. That some scenes like that Godfather scene go a little bit too long. Like the training sequence, I thought was another thing that went on a little too long, where they're going through all that with the what was it, the villagers. Mm-hmm. There's a couple others that, you know, like the fight scene in the castle. Yeah. The, uh, okay. Yeah. The fight scene in the castle was a little bit too long. I agree with that. Um, I'm trying to think of another one, but it'll definitely come to me. Uh, you, you know who I felt, you know, he, he was given this role and he kind of just ran with it. And he did such a great job. Uh, Richard Lewis as a uh, Prince John. I, I liked him in this movie. I felt like he had the right kind of smug attitude as a as a prince that doesn't belong in the throne that uh, took it over. Yeah. Also, you know? the running joke that he hates loud noises, but he's constantly surrounded by loud noise, like the trumpets going directly into his ears. Uh, the knights that have to protect him wearing like the loudest armor possible. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I love those little. Jo- also, the joke of his mole moving every time he has like a new scene. See, I didn't notice that. I didn't notice his mole yeah, moving. By the end of the movie, I think it's like right on his forehead. It's like it, it <laughs> completely in a different spot. Because at first, it moves from just like one side of his mouth to the other, and then it moves like a little bit higher on his cheek, and then yeah, by the end of the movie, it's like on his forehead, middle. Like, very obvious. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's uh, it, there's there's a couple good, like, jokes in this. And one that I, I still love and, you know, it, it doesn't get old to me was uh, Dave Chappelle's character being named Achoo. And anytime somebody, like, is calling him, somebody else goes, oh, bless you. <laughs> no, no, that's his name. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, I thought that was a nice bit, you know, and his father played by Isaac Hayes, uh, a sneeze. Yeah, a sneeze. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I thought that was a nice bit. Um, one thing I like is uh, when he um, he meets one of the guys that he ends up bringing along with him. I think uh, it was uh, Lil John. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I like I like the fight that they have. And Lil John, this man falls into a straight up, like, very, very small pool. He's like, it's like, help! I, I can't swim! Help! I'm training! Yeah. He's just flapping his arms like he can't. And and even the scene before that where Dave Chappelle is like, listen, man, this isn't exactly like like a big waterfall here. Like, we can, <laughs> we can cross over. Like, yeah. let, let me show you. North side, south side. North side, south side. It's not that right. big of a deal. It's a principle of the matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um. I love a scene where Robin Hood, uh, he kind of fries himself. He's like, uh, I'm going on this mission to handle this. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, you're going to need a team. Eh, I'll go it alone. Yeah. <laughs> he just, just leaves them hanging. Like, and they're just like, all right, bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love how like it, there's a lot of quick-witted jokes that just fly past you. And th- this movie has a lot of great ones and then it has some duds. But the great ones I love the most are like when he first meets uh, Little John is like, what's your name? Little John. But I'm actually bigger in person. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> right, right. I, and, uh, I was going to say his uh, his his blind uh, his blind friend. Oh, Blinken. Uh, 
blinking. When we when we first see him, he's in the stall and he's got he's he's got a Playboy, but he's got a Playboy where he can he can like feel the body, feel yeah. the woman's body. <laughs> and then he comes in, he says, Blinking. So oh, oh uh, I, uh I'm coming right out. And then he goes to grab uh Robin, but it's like a female statue. He's like Robin, you've changed, and you, <laughs> you lost your arms, and you grow grew such nice breasts. <laughs> right, like I thought that was funny. Like that was a nice visual gag there too. Um, yeah, man, but it's like uh, I feel like what what works in space movie and space balls in this one, it's like the joke kind of just goes too long in some scenes, and you're mm-hmm. kind of like you check your watch a little bit, like all right, we go into the next scene. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because there's a couple like good jokes, but there's a whole lot more bad in this movie or ones that just go on overstaying its welcome. Uh, But then there's some that really do pay off, like blinking constantly, not hearing what people say and just what did you say? Did you say a Blinken? No, I said, hey, Blinken. (laughs) And (laughs) the idea that an entire castle was taken away over him and he didn't hear it but at the end of the movie he like grabs an arrow right before it hits robin hood and goes oh easy i could hear that thing from a mile away great job blinken who said that where are you (laughs) and just playing with this idea that he has the worst hearing possible uh also the fact that he like fell off of a tower and got his sight back only to run into a tree and lose it immediately again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right 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 um i like you know who i love in this film is tracy ullman as a latrine the witch i thought she knocked it out the park i loved all of her scenes yeah as the super grotesque witch that has all the mm-hmm. magic powers that is really into uh what was it roger reese's character uh uh-huh, the yeah. sheriff of Rottingham. yeah 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 <laughs> I, I love the scene between the sheriff of Rottingham and Prince John, where he's like, um, I, "I have bad news, sir." He's like, "Okay, could like t- tell me the bad news in a good way." Okay. And so he's he starts explaining it to him while laughing his butt off that you know Robin Hood is coming to get him. He's like, "Why are you laughing?" He says, "Cause you you told me to tell you the bad news in a good way." Yeah, oh, there, there's. There is some great jokes in this movie and everything. It's just it's a shame that it's overflown with such dull humor and everything. Uh, even Mel Brooks's kind of cameo in this movie as the rabbi is a great <laughs> joke of, you know, so what are you doing here? I'm selling this great new thing called circumcisions. <laughs> What's that? I want one. I, I want one, too. And, and he explains it and everybody's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. It, except for Blinken, who's like, well, hold on. And then I care about I think it's like <laughs> little John puts his hand down. It's like, no, you don't. That just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought he was cool, too. Um, I, how about Patrick Stewart coming out of nowhere in the end? I didn't expect to see him. Yeah. I, I even forgot that he was in this movie because when he popped up, I was like, oh, that's right. Patrick Stewart is the actual king in this movie. I forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Um, I know we was talking about uh, sometime before we record this episode. I said Amy Yazbek as the maid Marion. 
I thought she was homegirl from from the Mortal Kombat film we watched, <laughs> the original one from the from the nineties. That I said, no, wait a minute. Oh, that's the woman from Problem Child. Oh man, that's funny though. I liked her as Maid Marion. She did a good job. Yeah, I'd say that the cast in this movie did a good job with every role that they were given. It's just this isn't Mel Brooks's best work when it came to his jokes. Not at all. Or the timing of said jokes. One thing, Dick Van Patten, who plays the Abbott, I didn't get the joke where someone's like, hey, Abbott, like, did you get that joke? Uh, oh, are you talking about like when he was coming down like the lane and everybody's like, hey, yeah. Abbott? And he's like, yeah, thank you. Oh, yes. Good to see you again. And the one guy, you know, says, hey, Abbott. And he's like, I hate that guy. Yeah, was that an inside joke? I didn't get that. I, if it was an inside joke, I didn't get it either. I, I just took it as him just, you know, all these people are being friendly toward him, and he's, like, friendly back except for that one person. That's all yeah. I took it as. Yeah, because I, I was like, I was like, is that an Abbott and Costello joke? I don't get it. But, um, yeah, I uh, one scene towards the end where uh, he gives a, a chew, um, the, uh, the new role as sheriff, <laughs> and then uh, somebody, somebody in the audience says, "A black sheriff," and then Bleakin goes, "He's black." Yeah. <laughs> and then the chew goes, "Well, you know, it, it worked at Blazing Saddles." Mm-hmm. That's when I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, oh. I hate those look at the camera jokes. <laughs> like, I'm like, I get it, it's Mel Brooks, but I was like, ugh. How did you feel about the joke with their hats and everything where Little John's was too small, uh, Blinken's the feather was going the opposite way, you had a choose was actually kind of a baseball cap that was backwards? I didn't think anything of it. I thought it was a, I thought it was a throwaway bit. I was like, it All pretty right, much was. It, it was an interesting was- kind of like visual joke on each of the characters and everything like that. Yeah, I didn't much care for the music either. But you know me. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, yeah, all right. I guess we. I guess I'm ready to just head on. Uh, it hurts me to say this. I, it's, this is a two point five to me. Uh, it, this is a three to me. It's. It has its jokes. <laughs> it's Mel Brooks, man. It, it feels. It hits hard to try and give Mel Brooks something less than a three. It, it's it's difficult to do because a lot of the jokes are still there. They're just not done as well as they could have been or they overstay mm. their welcome. But there's still plenty in this movie that made me laugh. There's still plenty that makes me kind of go, oh, yeah, I remember that scene. I'll, I'll remember that line and everything. But overall, it's I, I don't want to say it's his worst movie, but it's definitely not his best. <laughs> I don't know what his worst would be. I haven't seen all his movies, so I, I can't uh, honestly make an assessment of that. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm like, eh, not for me. Uh, yeah. But you know, I I respect it. I respect it. Um, all right, moving into after show, man. Um, have you seen any films lately? I. Uh, n- well, I did watch the one HBO documentary on the Jan Six from. Uh, what was it? All breaks, no gas, or that uh, guy? Not well. Uh, he he he. Yeah, yeah. He's from there. He's also from Channel Five. Channel uh, Five. That's what it was. 
this place rules. You watch this place rules. I did. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I love how it even starts off with like kind of a turf war <laughs> kind of thing between <laughs> these two like media influencers. Right, and right. it slowly divulges into him like interviewing these different people. And I love how he even goes in explaining like how they find some people where it was like, I had my team on social media just looking up the person that is just so far deep in conspiracies, like is so digested into this world that nothing outside of his own world exists. And we found him and he's in this state, in this city where we're going right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um one thing I love is that when it starts off with that turf war between the two guys, uh, it, it was boot gang and it was Joker, right? Yes. Like, yeah. 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 And uh, the guy, the producer off screen says, you you want to start the movie like that? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I think that's a perfect uh, allegory for what's going on here in America. Yeah. And I, I thought long and hard about that. And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> that, that is a perfect <laughs> allegory. <laughs> Yeah, it it works out. And yeah, it's one of those things where I I love how he always presents these kind of things where it's like, oh, here are these silly people, but Mm -hmm. here's the real story behind them. And we get to see like conspiracy theorists and he goes into detail of like, you know, everything that he's into and how he got to that point and everything like that. And then he even has the family that was going through the Q conspiracy. And then when Mm -hmm. nothing of Q came about he went back to them and like did another interview with them and they're just like yeah it's just disappointing that we focused our entire lives on this thing and when it didn't happen it kind of made it seem like what was the point what why was somebody doing this like what was what else is out there that's just trying to manipulate us into doing something for somebody else with zero gain for ourselves and mm. it's like it's it's such a smart documentary that is chasing the stupidest kind of things. And he does yeah. that with all his videos. And it's why I love watching his videos where, you know, he does the stuff on like spring break and everything like that, where it's like, oh, yeah, these 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 are silly people. But then it's like deep down, you're like, wow, that's a that's a screwed up message that we're presenting in this kind of fashion or whatever this is. And <laughs> Yeah, I just love the extreme close-ups that he does. Oh, like yeah. somebody will be talking, and they'll just be talking normally like you and I. And then they'll be like extreme close-up mm-hmm. on something manic they said, and then they'll just snap right back to the regular close-up. Like I, I like that style of um, filming. But yeah, man, I, I, I thought that was a very well-done documentary. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Heavily enjoyed it. Um, well, this past weekend, uh, well, this past week, I saw uh, Infinity Pool. How was that one? So, um, it's exactly what you would expect it to be. Uh, it's a very dark, weird, hedonistic horror thriller film. Um, you got Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goff in the leading roles. But uh, I got to say, for what it was, man, and what it delivered and, uh, and promised on, I, I thought it was good. I would give it a solid... I'm, t- I'm teetering between a three and a 3.5 out of five because I I liked what I saw, but I kind of debated what was the point. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But then I I, I wrestled like, OK, maybe the movie does kind of have a point with what it's doing. But, you know, quick synopsis. So a man and author 
uh, who has been hit with some writer's block for a while, uh, goes on a vacation with his wife. Uh, they meet another couple. And uh, through them, they learn of like this underground hedonistic society in this um, in this uh, in this that, that exists within this vacation resort. And uh, after an, um, a tragic, unfortunate accident, uh, the main character has a has a choice to like either like be executed or go through this uh, science science, go through like this uh, disturbing science experiment. Um, he obviously chooses the latter. And that's what the film kind of like a. Uh, set sail from there and uh yeah i think it's a very like it's a very dark kind of like um explicit like sci-fi thriller it's a little bit of sci-fi to it but um if you know uh the director brandon cronenberg and if you know who his father is david cronenberg you know these kind of ideas aren't aren't alien to the to that family of directors Mm -hmm. but uh i i liked it man i thought it was good for what it was i i thought it was good i think it's i think it's the first well, I think Megan's the first good horror film with 2023, but I think this might be a second one. The second good, second best. Okay. So it strong start to horror in 2023, you'd say? Yeah. I saw this in Skin of Marink. You, have you heard of that one? No. All right. So Skin of Marink is a movie. Um, it's a strange movie. It's hard to describe. <laughs> so it's... <laughs> It's a movie that's set in the 90s. So it's about um, this family in this house. And it, it deals with um, the, these two uh, young siblings. It was, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little brother and her, her older sister. But they're, they're young. They're like toddlers. Um, one night, um, they hear a sound. And like all the doors and the windows are kind of shut. And there's nothing but this cartoon playing on the TV. And that's when they realize the house is kind of haunted. And they're trying to look for their parents. Uh, so the film is shot in a really weird way. Like if you think paranormal activity, but minus the whole video cam thing, it's shot in a very grainy way where like characters aren't really aren't really like set in frame. Like we're set in frame right now. We mm. can see each other's faces and stuff. The camera always has some ha- always has it tilted like 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 a character's like foot is in frame or they're showing the back of a character's head. No one like no one's faces ever gets shown on frame as like the kids are trying to figure out what's going on in the, the so house. So it's like a found creepy. footage kind of. It has that feel to it, but it's 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 not like someone's actively holding the camera. It's just okay. shot like that. Um, very very inventive horror film, man. Very interesting. Like I, I liked watching it in theaters because um, <laughs> it it's, it was a it was a theater where it was uh, it was just me. Two people sitting behind me and another guy sitting over there. So it was like it was like five of us in the theater. Uh, there was this one scene, like this one big jump scare where I was in my seat and I was like, oh, sh-. you know, <laughs> and I, I felt embarrassed because I think I was the only one that audibly jumped. Mm-hmm. And like the whole theater was silent. But like I say, watching that in the theater, man, it's a pretty creepy movie. I enjoyed okay. it. I That's- give that. Yeah, I give that a three point five. But go ahead. Okay. Yeah, there's some movies that just are better when it's in a theater experience uh, with other people and everything like that. So it's sadly one of those things that you don't see too often anymore Mm -hmm. when it comes to that kind of big theater moment. Like Avatar was a huge one to see in the theater where it's like watching with other people around you is an event. Uh, Endgame Mm -hmm. was the same. Infinity War, you know. Uh, Cloverfield 
you know, those kind of movies where it's like this huge thing where you're all experiencing like these huge moments together and you get to hear other people's reactions at the same time that you're kind of experiencing that. Yeah. I, um, I remember I saw a paranormal activity, I think it was three and, uh, in a, in a packed theater and I was in college and, uh, that was great, man. Everybody was like jumping at the same time. And it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more fun than if I watched it on my own. I was like, oh, okay, that was cool. You right. Know what I mean, yeah. yeah. But um, in, yeah. Uh, other news, though. Did you hear about everything going on with uh, Justin Roiland? Justin. Oh, yeah, your boy, uh, Zach. And, uh, I was going to say Zach and Morty. <laughs> Zach and Morty. Uh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> Rick and Morty. I don't know what I was thinking about. I think I was thinking of Zach and Cody. <laughs> it's the sweet life. <laughs> uh, Slightly yeah, different shows. Uh, he's the co-creator and star of Rick and Morty, and uh, he's the co-creator of uh, Solar Opposites. Yes, and he I also think. voices one of the main characters on it. Uh, but yeah, with all the allegations coming out and everything like that, uh, the court hasn't come to session yet, to my knowledge. Uh, I know they haven't at least come to a conclusion on it, but Adult Swim has cut ties with him. He has now stepped down from Squanch Games, which was the game studio he created. So mm-hmm. far, Hulu hasn't made any comments on it, but at the same time, I don't think Solar Opposites... I think Hulu's been... kicked him, too. Did they kick him now? Yeah, Hulu... Uh, I think Hulu has kind of kicked him, too, I believe. Okay. But, yeah, it's uh, come down to him being blasted from everything it comes down to not only the allegations of him literally holding an ex-girlfriend captive which Mm -hmm. is an insane kind of allegation to somebody to be like oh yeah you held this person captive and then you go that's not true it's like okay well that that's not a black and white sit or that's a very black and white situation that's not a oh there's levels of gray in there (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you yeah. either did or you didn't hold somebody captive. There's no, well, no, I just happened to lock the door and she didn't know how to unlock it kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, dicey situation. I mean, I don't like people being made guilty in the court of public opinion um, unless there's like a self a self confession or like there's like evidence and like there's actually been like a court, mm-hmm. like an actual, an actual, like a, uh, you know, trial. Um, but that's the time we live in, man. I mean, it, it happens even when some people are like innocent of what people are saying, you, you still might deal with the, Oh, we've separated ties with such and such. Um, oh yeah. He'll still be it- blacklisted from the industry, regardless of how the court case goes and everything, which it's surprising that all these companies already started pulling him prior to the court decision especially well, adult swim is that true because i've seen in instances where, where people have been blacklisted and then it's been shown that they were innocent and then they they came back my man who um he hosted the 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 the, the talk series after better call saw on walking dead you know who i'm talking about uh, like the the oh <sighs> uh i i know you're yes but There's something Chris Hardwick. Um, yeah, Chris Hardwick. So with him, it, it was just some kind of allegations. There wasn't a court case or anything like that coming about it. It was mm-hmm. just somebody came out and was like, hey, this happened. And of course, Chris Hardwick was like, that didn't happen. Comedy Central kind of right. just went, how about this? You just take a couple weeks off the show while this is in the forefront 
you're not fired if you you know everything like that but just mm-hmm. take a couple weeks off just so th- this can kind of slide under the radar again and everything like that. And then he came back and there was no issue. But at the same time, Adult Swim, when there were huge allegations coming up against uh, Dan Harmon, the other creator of Rick and Morty, uh, right, coincidentally, yeah. they kind of went, look, we're not here to judge people on the court of public opinion, you know, unless there is something that comes out about him that is or undeniable evidence again Mm. for these allegations or is he fined for such allegations at that time we will take appropriate action until then we have no regards to you know commenting on speculation and people going into cancel culture addiction so the fact that adults swim severed ties with justin roiland is like Okay, behind closed doors, there's there's something else going on here. It's one of those things that's yeah, like, maybe. okay, that's that one's raising a flag <laughs> that there might be more to this than just an allegation. Maybe, or it could be, eh, uh, Dan Harm is more valuable to us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we want Dan around, this, this Justin guy, you know, we, we don't really need him. It's... <laughs> We we need Michael Jackson to keep making albums, okay? We'll uh <laughs> we'll wait for the allegations to come out later. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um I wanted to bring up to you, did you hear about Zachary Levi? Uh no. It's- so uh it was something like it, it, it could grow into a big thing or it couldn't. I'm just gonna bring it up uh because I don't like the discourse around it. So Somebody said um, somebody made a tweet and Zachary Levi responded to it. And they basically said, like, uh, is there anyone out there that believes that uh, that Pfizer may be the worst thing that ever happened uh, to, uh, to to the, to the to United States or something like that? And then Zachary Levi retweeted and said, yeah, absolutely. So then that's when that's when I figure out, OK, everyone's joint. Everyone's hopping on the Zachary Levi hate train now. Uh, because of that comment or because of that tweet. So, so what? So what the tweet says is by Lyndon Wood, just giving a shout out, just uh, citing who made the original tweet. Mm-hmm. Do you agree or not that Pfizer is a real danger to the world? And Zachary Levi said, "Hardcore agree." And um, everyone just kind of, you know, that moment where one person says something out of pocket, and then everyone jumps down that person's throat. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So that happened. And then, uh, you know, everyone from TMZ to whatever started making articles on it. And uh, then Zachary came out and said, uh, I'm just referring. He 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 retweeted a case uh, that was made against Pfizer in uh, 2009. He says, I was referring to this case. And then everybody's like, uh, so you're referring to something that happened decades ago and, and not and not and not talking about the vaccine. And. My take on it was I approached it and I was like, I'm not going to join the Zachary Levi hate train because he said something that was, uh, you know, had horrific timing mm-hmm. uh, on, on the eve of Shazam 2 coming out. But I'm not I'm not going to jump on the hate train against him. Yeah. In terms of tweets and everything like that. Yeah. Is it because of that or is it because of recent stuff? 
who knows but at the same time if PETA came out like oh PETA just saved a thousand puppies and people are like hey do you like PETA now it's like no they they did horrible stuff in the past well why aren't you talking about what they're doing now no because the past they they were literally killing millions of animals (laughs) so it's hard easy to look at it that way in the same vein with him going no they did this terrible thing in the past I think they're a terrible organization. They might have turned around and did something good, but that doesn't change the fact that they're a terrible organization. Yeah, and you know, on top of that, people are like, um, oh, he follows Jordan Peterson. Uh, you know, he listens to Joe Rogan and he 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 had a uh uh he had a spot on the seven hundred club with uh, uh who endorses Trump and you know uh anti LGBTQ anti LGBTQ um, you know, plus, uh, um, communities. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to join the hate train. Like until I see something that's specifically like very, um, derogatory or disrespectful towards somebody from his account, I, I'm just not going to join the hate train. I'm like, I mean, you may not agree with the man, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's a sensitive time. That almost feels like when everybody was piling on Chris Pratt because he didn't say who he would vote for in the election. And people were Mm -hmm. like, oh, that means that he supports Trump. It's like, no, he didn't say that. He he just didn't say any endorsement for anybody. And people fair. Right. It's when it comes to celebrities. I don't care what your political beliefs are. I don't care what your things are. If you donate to a charity, right on. I support it. If you donate your time to like go make kids happy in the hospital and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right on. I love seeing it. I, I don't care what your you know thoughts are on Bill Proposal 15A. I don't. I really don't. Of all the people, <laughs> yours. I I don't care if Tom Cruise is a Scientologist. When that new Mission Impossible drops, I'm seeing it. I right. Don't what, I don't care what his religion is or his his affiliation. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll. I think it'll blow over. I don't think this is a big deal. Um. So we'll see what happens. But uh, other than that, all right, folks, like, share, and subscribe. You know, uh, let us know what your favorite is out of these two. Uh, don't forget to watch movies, uh, continue to talk about film, continue to talk about movies and, uh, take care.